it is time to tune up the band and talk about the inner machinations of Lucha Libre politics. <laughs> it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey for the wacky world of professional wrestling. I wish I was joking about that, feathers, but I'm really not. No, How are we doing today? <laughs> After no. the last episode... <laughs> I I still need I still need a moment, which is why I will be silent. <laughs> I don't blame you. No, I, I don't blame that. you. I understand. Oh, it's been it's been a hot minute, but um, yeah, not doing too bad. We just had a little bit of a mini break, but we are right back into the swing of things with this one. Still a little bit stuffy, if you can hear us. Yeah, my apologies. <laughs> anyway. We give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, guys, pending, what is it? How does it affect us in life, especially with, since we are still celebrating Latin Heritage Month? The answer is that it has nothing to do with it. And yet, we continue. Yet, we persist in pending. And let me tell you something. We always will be, no matter what Heritage Month it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Darn right. Darn right. So, not much to do. No news this week uh, before we get on. But there are a couple little things I want to kind of announce. Get out of the way. Patreon.com forward slash Sweet Chinwag. We are still on the Patreon. We're still going to be pushing that quite hard. We've got a couple of goals up, of course. Me, I've still got the co-current goal of if we reach 10 patrons, I will do a music video dedicated solely to Hook. And of course, if we reach, I believe it's £100 per month, we are going to be watching and reviewing the entire 2001 season of the XFL. That's all there. All different sort of tiers, starting from £1 and up. Exclusive access to a Discord server and early access to not only episodes, but concepts, video edits. And recently, we just released a whole bunch of new merch designs, which will be going up fairly soon on our store at Brain Buster Tees. Yeah. All of that you can find over on patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag. Another little thing that I need to clear up or another thing we need to actually announce. We're going to be at New Japan Royal Quest. We are. We're going to we be are. in like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be we'll be clipping like the uh, the oxygen levels for altitude given where we are. But we will be there. We're also going to be checking temperature levels because we are in the Crystal Palace indoor arena. Yeah, I know. And it is going to be like sweat box. It is going though, to even, be even though we're going to start getting to the set the sections where the air starts getting thin. Yes, yes, we will be in the nosebleed sections on uh, day two of New Japan Royal Quest. It still makes me laugh that it's taking place at the Crystal Palace indoor. I arena. cannot un- literally just huh? like of all places of L- all places. There, I'm sure that they're like more suitable indoor just across south london there is but you know what like just new japan go for it why not why not just why not ring of honor did show there once screw it (laughs) we're going there so there we're going to be there for day two if you bump into us don't be afraid to say hi we're always good we're always up for meeting people always there i may be slightly nervous 
because I usually wear a mask, like a lucha mask and sunglasses, because I like to obscure my face. So don't be too intimidated by me. <laughs> oh, um, anything else actually that we need to go over, guys? Or is that kind of... No, I think that's it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, with all of that being said, let us get on with our episode on CMLL, the premiere promotion, the oldest running promotion, not only in Mexico, but of course the entire world. Question before we get into the retrospective for YouTube taps. What is your familiarity with CMLL? Honestly, nothing. It's just a company that has a lot of history. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for this one? Okay. Oh, yes. Here's my experience with CMLL. It's that place where luchadors come from that I found, I find out about after the fact of them going somewhere important in the US or Japan. <laughs> my. <laughs> I, I am so sorry to like every lucha, every lucha fan that I'm going to offend by saying that. Yeah, but like literally, I found out about by about CMLO in the first place. Literally, just because I saw a lucha and was like, "Huh, they're cool. Let me look them up." Oh, there's this place where they've been wrestling for like six years prior. It's very much the case of, I guess, for us and very, very much European uh, uh, wrestling fans, is that exposure to a lot of Mexican and uh, Mexican lucha libre is limited. Um, there was one time, very short stint in about 2003-4, where the wrestling channel did carry CMLL over. And there was a short stint of that on their channel for a little bit. And I catched that. I caught that. I ended up watching El Hijo, um, Blue, or Blue Demon Jr. and Dr. Wagner Jr., every so often there on CMLL. But that was the only kind of exposure I ever had to it. It wasn't until later with the advent of YouTube and people just throwing old CMLL clips and shows at that time that I really got a chance yeah. to actually I mean, watch. There, there, is the, there is the other side of it, which is like me just coming across like random CMLL clips. What I love about CMLL, if you find it on YouTube, it's the like bare bones VHS, like this thing has been recorded and put on so many different, like re-recorded and copied onto so many tapes that it's now so grainy and so dark that you're barely able to catch, like to catch any of the action, but it still has that infinite charm to it uh, <laughs> of it being so, great. so copied over. <laughs> anyway, or it not like that. Exactly. I mean, I gave you two, just for perspective, like last year when we uh, did the Norman Smiley Great Wrestlers, I gave you two matches from CMLL, and two of them were barely, you were barely able to see any of the action. The thing about them, though, is that, like, I was thinking in consideration of the time that they were made. Yes. And even then, I think by those standards, it was sketchy. <laughs> That is true. That is true. Anyhow, let us get into the deep 89-year history of Consejo Mundial de Lucha Libre. Something on, on like a separate thing. That's pretty crazy. <clears throat> 89 years. That is nuts. So prior 
to CMLL, or as it would be known at the time, EMLL at the time's inception, Lucha Libre shows in Mexico were primarily promoted by foreign promoters doing the occasional match uh, as an excursion through Mexico or with a few scattered local promotions and promoters across the country, especially along the US-Mexico border, who brought yeah. in American professional wrestlers as their main attractions, which is why there was a massively burgeoning scene in Texas, especially El Paso around the time. Yeah. In 1929, Salvador Lutorov Gonzalez, who at the time was a property inspector from the Mexican tax <laughs> department... Okay. <laughs> Moved to Juarez near the Mexico-US border, and during a trip to El Paso, Texas, Lutorov witnessed a professional wrestling show and was incredibly intrigued by it, especially with the main event, with Greek wrestler Gus Papas. I love how, as we've kind of gone through a lot of this Lutra stuff, so much of this seems purely incidental. Yes. Yeah. Like, some guy happened to be somewhere, and then that, like, was the linchpin for, like, a dynasty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to which this day, the Lutorov Gonzalez family still very much in the the ownership of CMLL. It, I, I just love how just a guy who was a property inspector for the Mexican Board of, like, Tax was, like, as just happened to be in Juarez and then saw a wrestling show and was like, I've got an idea. <laughs> just, just, it's the Lucha Libre, like, history is just, it's just the, it's just the uh, Domino's meme. Yeah. That's it. I, I was, I was exactly thinking of, you know is. that, you know that, you know that, um, the, the gif of Mr. Incredible. It's like, I've got time. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah that's exact no that is exactly yeah, it I, I got yeah <laughs> so four years later in 1933 Lutorov along with his financial backer Francesco Ahumada chartered Empresa Mexicana de Lucha Libre EMLL literally meaning the Mexican Wrestling Enterprise, the very first Mexican-owned wrestling promotion in the country. EMLL held their very first show on September the 21st, 1933, to which many consider the birth of Lucha Libre, and which in turn led to Lutorov being known as the father of Lucha Libre. Now, initially, EMML would try to book the Arena Nacional, which was the, at the time, the premier boxing venue in Mexico City. But promoters wouldn't let him rent it, forcing kind of, uh, well, due to reasons of, well, wrestling's wrestling, it's not boxing, and extortionate charges for the rental of the arena. Because, <laughs> of course, because, of course it is. It's Mexico City, cry um, out loud. I see, imagine rental see, costs this are is how, this crazy. Is how, this is... This is how you know it's early lucha because if this was like in the if this was like towards the seventies, they would have just said it was a boxing event anyway. True, very true. It's one hundred percent a boxing event. They're wearing gloves. Trust me, that <laughs> man didn't just do a hurricane rana. <laughs> this would uh, this would leave Lutorov and uh, the EMML staff to kind of try and rush and scarper to find somewhere, and it would eventually take up residence at the Arena Modelo. It was an abandoned, run-down facility that Lutov was able to use as his home base. This, though, 
Of course, Arena Modelo would end up becoming Arena Mexico. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So the one of the premier wrestling venues in Mexico City. But we'll get to that. The concept, though, of Lucha Libre quickly became very, very popular. Mexican wrestling, homegrown talent run by a homegrown uh, promoter was hugely successful for their eventual startup. So much so that at the EMNL first anniversary show, it drew a sold out crowd of 5,000, which is huge for them. It was, that is great. And it was unheard of in Mexico, even for, uh, even for boxing at that time to have a crowd of that big was quite rare at that time. In 1934, an American wrestler would debut in Mexico under a black mask, and Lutarov would dub him as La Mar- Maravilla Enmascarada, or the Masked Marvel. In the United States, the, start, the concept of the mask wrestler was kind of a, like a, a mid-level retraction, was, and was very fairly common, but the reaction to the Masked Marvel would lead to Lutarov and EMLL officials to introduce more masks starting off with a wrestler simply known as el and mascarado the masked wrestler later on they would introduce a character known as el murcialago in mascarado the masked bat and through the use of masks and ring characters emll helped create the sacred position of the mask in lucha libre making it the ultimate status symbol for all luchadors in mexico i like the clarification of the masked bat (laughs) yeah. <laughs> no, he wasn't a giant baseball bat before anyone asked. Is it she just like No no no, it's a bat but in a mask. <laughs> so again, Lutarov, father of Lucha Libre, was saw one guy coming in with a mask gimmick that wasn't that was fairly common in American wrestling but not hugely popular and thought, you know what, I can make money off of that. <laughs> the- the method stays winning. <laughs> so the early days of EMLL, most of the top names that were that had main event top billing were foreign talents, specifically Americans coming in. But with time, they would begin to introduce several Mexican natives that became hugely popular and began to fill that main event spot for most of their shows. To expand their business, though, EMLL would began working with a number of local wrestling promoters across America, allowing them to use the EMLL name and some of their contracted wrestlers while also gaining access to local wrestlers in the return. Basically, Lutarov took the McDonald's way of franchising and took it and put it into wrestling across the entirety of Mexico. I mean, to be fair... That's, that's not a bad method. Mm. Like, you want you want a franchise? Got your own business? How about you franchise it? We'll make you we'll make you an EMLL business. I mean, you, this was this was a dude who, who's like who started out in tax, so mm. you'd think he'd have some ideas, right? <laughs> no, but like 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 the the idea of then like selling yourself as an umbrella brand. Yeah. And then, you know, licensing your name to promoters to use for official shows. Yeah. That's that's quite a smart idea. <laughs> it's quite strange in the concept in the context of wrestling, because I can't think of anything else that's been done like that. True. Very true. But like 
It's it's an interesting concept. It re- it's a very it really in, it's a very interesting concept in like the I, I guess the idea of it would be you have an fit you have an official like CMLL base, mm. and then like a. <laughs> This is this is sounding so appropriate for a man who worked in the tax department. <laughs> it really a central, is a central CMLL base, and then like satellite CMLL organizations that are backed by CMLL, and then you lend your name to them. Almost, so, uh, it's so almost... people, so people like so like if we say that CMLL was based in Juarez, that you could go to Mexico City or be in state live in Mexico City and see a CMLL show. But it wouldn't be touring. It would just be CMLL promoting a show using Mexico City wrestlers. Mm. It, it's quite it's quite an interesting concept to use. Very interesting. Almost sounds like Triple H's plan expansion of NXT to different territories, doesn't it? Kind of, but that's more that's more what I would term akin to like wrestling colonialism. That's very true. That is very very true. Very true. Almost kind of apropos that the first expansion would be the UK in terms of colonialism, isn't it? I mean, Anyhow, in in all fairness, we deserve it. Yeah, very true. Very very true. Anyhow. Let's get back to CMLL. 1942, a masked wrestler clad in silver, simply known as El Santo, would go on to become a cultural icon in Mexico and is often cited as the greatest Mexican wrestler of all time. But you two already know that because we've already done an episode on El Santo. Who? <laughs> I had to. I had to. God damn it, really. No, it's, it's a good bit. It's a good bit. So, along with El Santo and the popularity of other stars such as Tarzan Lopez, Bobby Banales, Cavernario Galindo, and Gory Guerrero, the original base of operations, Arena Modeo, eventually became way too small to accommodate the demand for tickets. So, to solve this problem, Lutrov financed the construction of Arena Coliseo in Mexican City, in Mexico City, the very first arena in Mexico specifically built for professional wrestling. And fun fact, it was also the first building in Mexico, uh, first sports building, I should say, in Mexico to have air conditioning. <laughs> logistics of that at the time as well so the arena which is lovingly nicknamed the laganila funnel due to its interior shape would hold over 8800 spectators when configured for lucha libre or boxing arena coliseo began hosting emll's anniversary annual anniversary show starting with the 10th anniversary show Fast forward a little bit to 1953. Salvador Lutrov is still making huge amounts of money as being the premier promotion for Mexico. And in 1953, he ends up joining the National Wrestling Alliance, becoming the official NWA territory for all of Mexico. Now, known as NWA EMLL outside of Mexico, by joining the company or the alliance, Lutrov and EMLL gained control of the NWA Light Heavyweight Championship. They were also able to rebrand the World Middleweight Championship to become the world, the NWA World Middleweight Championship, which, fun fact, the NWA World Middleweight Championship is the oldest championship that is still going to this day, first defended in 1939. That is unreal. 
Wow. That, that, that belt was being defended technically at the start of World War II. <laughs> yep. Still going to this day. It's still going now. That's uh, actually insanity. And of course, they were able to also rebrand their second, what well, their second oldest title, which was the NWA World Weltweight Championship. But that is actually now, I believe that is now inactive as of this recording. The, 19, uh, the 1950s also became a viable way to promote shows via television. It actually became one of the best mediums to advertise show, local shows for EMML across the entirety of Mexico. This, of course, bolstered the huge popularity of EMLL, but... Unfortunately, Arena Coliseo wasn't properly equipped for television transmissions. As it turns out, Lutarov and EMML had huge luck on their side, as Lutarov and the personnel at Arena Coliseo bought a lottery ticket worth 5 million pesos. You, you, okay, oh, you, oh, come on, come on. Understand what I keep saying, where the the history of lucha is literally linked to this guy happened to incidentally be somewhere at this time. That is bizarre. A very quick question, actually. Did in your research, Sam? Did you hear about like whether, like, I imagine the Second World War affected the the company at that time? It was only uh, a very short stint, and this is what convince Lutarov to use a lot more Mexican talent around that time because of course when they started out it was it was a massive help that they managed to grab a lot of American talent that would make excursions to Mexico coming in but at the turn of the second world war he kind of his hand was kind of forced to go ah okay I need to have some I need to get some talent home make some homegrown talent now and start booking them in, in into shows I know this is like a whole this is like a whole side note thing um, I'm just picturing the whole thing because, like, obviously they have, you know, like when it came to those situations and they do drafting and stuff. But, like, for example, if you did certain things, you weren't allowed to be drafted. Do you think a luchador was an exception? That's a great question. <laughs> I believe. Because it comes up, it comes up because um, um, while I was going through some family history and stuff, one of my grandparents was um wasn't drafted and he was put into the home forces because he was because he played in a band and they and so their their rationale was because he's in a like a brass band that he's important for like home morale now memory serves me correct that was the exact same reasoning for el santo not being drafted which is kind of funny for me because it's like they are looking for like able-bodied men and they have an entire company where their job is to be able-bodied brick shithouses. <laughs> but no, we can't use those guys. We need them to dress up and beat the shit out of each other for, for morale. Look, I understand that you want to do your duty to your country, right? But we've got a booking going in Mexico City, right? And you're defending the title. It's 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 either defend defend Mexico and the free world or defend the title. You know which one is the most important. No, it's one. okay. He was. It's okay. Like I said, he was there supporting home morale. They needed it. Mm. Oh man. So, do you want to know what Lutarov did with those five million pesos? 
Did he, like, fund the first private broadcasting system in Mexico? No, he managed to actually um, finance the construction of Arena Mexico, which was on the location <laughs> of the Arena Modeo. <laughs> like I just said, well, let's do it again, but this time bigger. <laughs> With with the construction of of Arena Mexico, they that enabled EMML, of course, to broadcast their weekly wrestling shows across Mexico, yielding a popularity explosion for Lucha Libre. Starting in 1956 with the 23rd anniversary show, all anniversary shows were then held in Arena Mexico, except for the 46th anniversary show. Um, memory serves me correct, that was the one that took place in Arena Coliseo in my recent... Yes, that was the one that took place in Arena Coliseo. But over time, because of that amazing stroke of luck, building that new arena and the world... Uh, well, sorry, the, I'd say the... Well, yeah, the worldwide exposure of EMML at that time, including, him, of course, you know, in its home, home exposure, that would uh, lovingly be called the Cathedral of Lucha Libre because of so many important what, moments in television and in Lucha Libre that took place in Arena Mexico. Oh, that's so good. That's actually so good. Yeah. Over time, though, with with old age as well and being in this job for nearly three, dec- three to four decades at this point, Lutarov would eventually retire from the day-to-day operations of EMLL, leaving the company in the hands of his son, Salvador Chavo Lutarov Jr. <laughs> I feel like I never processed the idea of other people in the world ever being called Chavo. Yeah, same. I had to take a beat there. <laughs> there, there is another. There are other people with that name. Ooh, Chavo. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, come nineteen seventy-five, local promoter Francisco Flores, along with EMLL trainer Ray Mendoza, broke away from the company. They cited their the. De- they cited that the um, the conservative, restrictive, promotional style of EMLL was getting in the way of what they wanted to achieve in their in their respective roles. The two took a number of a lot of the younger wrestlers on the EMLL roster to then form Lucha Libre Internacional SC, but it was later uh, known as the Universal Wrestling Association. We have the great breakaway promotion moment <laughs> this of course would form the very first promotional rivalry in mexico between emll and uwa like i say is is wrestling really wrestling if an older wrestler doesn't need a mass exodus of young talent to a company <laughs> of his own creation <laughs> true is a flat circle isn't it it really true. is funny enough right here's here's a little thing about uwa we might do an episode of uwa in the future it's very interesting lasted about 30 or so years became defunct in 1995 tried tried very hard to try and get a foothold on on Mexican Lucha Libre didn't have much luck but they did have luck in in forming a lot of relationships one of them in fact actually forming a relationship with the WWF and New Japan as a matter of fact of course Um, this was able this this also led to UWA actually having an exclusive title known as the WWF World Light Heavyweight Championship. Okay, yeah, I'm aware I am aware of that bit of history. Also, funnily enough, Shin, Shin, Shinjiro Otani was the last holder of the World Welterweight Championship in UWA. 
Of course. <laughs> but anyway, let, enough about that. Let's let's go into our next part. EMLL becoming CMLL. It's the mid-1980s. With Chavo Lutorov retired, this allowed his nephew, Paco Alonso, to take control of EMLL. In the late 1980s, EMLL decided to disband from the NWA, seeking to distance themselves from the, the political machinations and infighting that was taking place in the National Wrestling Alliance, all because of Vince McMahon deciding to say fuck you to the NWA. <laughs> And buying up the territories, because of course it was. Basically, the NWA at this time are now starting to clutch at straws, trying to, you know, survive yeah, like, as best like, as it could. Just, like, get something to survive. <laughs> so, it was in 1991 that EMLL would change its name to Consejo Mundial de Lucha Libre. Or in English, the World Wrestling Council. Although I will say that doesn't roll off the tongue as well, as not nearly as well as Consejo Mundial de Lucha Libre. <laughs> the World Wrestling Council sounds like an extraordinarily shadowy organization. It really does. I'm I pitching. Like, I feel like the world. I feel like the World Wrestling Council is like the like the mass supervillain organization in some kind of cartoon. I'm getting right. I'm getting Doctor yes. Strange love vibes of like the the, the dark room round <laughs> table of the World Wrestling Council. Oh god. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the ring room. We were <laughs> we were under the control of the shadowy World Wrestling Council. <laughs> from so here's a little fun fact for for you. From the from the from the rebrand in ninety one through nineteen ninety three, CMLL would create eight CMLL world titles in addition to the three right, NWA are. branded titles that they retained and a slew of other championships. Okay, I need to do I need to do this I need to do this bit now. Do okay. it, Dad. Reardon, you've heard us joke about this before. Um, and as we always say, we have a recurring bit here where whenever <laughs> anyone mentions a wrestling company having too many titles, we immediately bring up CMLL. Uh, we've made this joke before, but do you know or want to take a guess at how many titles active CMLL has? Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay, <laughs> I must say... For some reason, my brain keeps saying, saying like, 33... Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. You are not far off, and I'm happy you went on that side of things because it's 26. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, man. Like, I, I, oh. I love it so much because then, like I said, people come and they're like, man, this company has so many titles. Like, I've got, like... um. AEW right now has eight. <laughs> <laughs> How many does is it recognize WWE is having right now? Sorry, I, I, I should know this, but um, obviously I don't. Oh, sorry, I actually meant the World Wrestling Empire of South Carolina. Sorry. <laughs> um, oh, God. WWE currently has 16 across three shows. CMLL has 26. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. It's just incredible, honestly. And the thing about it is, given how Mexico is, some of these haven't been defended since, like, 2020. <laughs> right. It's nuts. 
Well, at least they haven't so changed that. hands since about like 2020. It's incredible. I love it. Ah, so. With all of this, with the slew of championships, the rebrand, the company would begin actually having a relationship and actually strike a deal with the National Televisa Network over in Mexico, which would actually see them hit a second boom in business due to re renewed exposure across Mexico. Because of limited a limited television access, most of the time EMML's kind of like exposure would be through limited television run as well as comic books, magazines, and newspapers. The most famous one, of course, uh, magazine being uh, Arena Magazine in Mexico. But of course, with this new brand new telev national television deal, this is kind of almost like if wrestling was on BBC to bring it into like a perspective yeah. for for. For, for us British people, um, British. to be quite honest, I would have preferred watching watching Andre. I like, I guess, Andre the Giant at the time on BBC than say, I don't know. Uh, keeping up that was on BBC at that time. Keeping <laughs> up appearances. There you go. <laughs> this, of course, would lead uh, leading into the mid ninety, early to mid nineties with. The uh, with the rivalry between CMLL and Triple A. Mid nineteen eighties, retired wrestler Antonio Pena would become one of the main bookers for EMLL. Uh, of course, being of course being one of the big guys to settle who would you know to, to write storylines, who's winning what, who's going to be put over. You know, basically, we've already done the, the Pokedex entry for for <laughs> poker anyway. He was also one of the driving forces behind the name change to CMLL at the time. Peña would often clash with the other main booker for the company, known as Juan Herrera. Herrera wanted to maintain the old style of booking with heavyweights such as El Dandy, El Satanico, Atlantis, whilst Peña wanted to feature younger, more kind of athletic wrestlers such as Conan, Octagon, Mascarada Sagrada. But in the end, CMLL Paco Alonso, the owner, would decide to go with Herrera's booking style over Peña's. But after being kind of like, you know, ignored and slighted by this, Peña began negotiations with Televisia to fund a new wrestling promotion that would provide them with weekly wrestling shows. So basically, he went behind CMLL's back to the television provider to make his own wrestling show. Of course. This Just would, of, of course, course, come up with the Televisia-owned AAA promotion. Whilst Peña technically owned it, Televisia owned, well, well, owned the promotion, Televisia owned the kind of intellectual property rights, the AAA name. This, of course, pissed off CMLL and Paco Alonso no <laughs> I wonder what could lead to that point. <laughs> so... <laughs> this scan a long maligned rivalry between the two that still exists to this very day but starting in 1996 cmll began promoting an annual show in march first paying homage to salvador lutarov then later lutarov and el santo and then finally becoming the homage to two legends annual show series as a way to slight triple a in a sense 
As I said, this rivalry still begin even exists to this day when we saw triple A contracted wrestlers that are in AEW not allowed to be a part of the Forbidden Door pay-per-view because, of course, New Japan has a working relationship with CMLL. That's the reason we couldn't see Andrade, uh, Roosh, yes. the Lucha Brothers. That's the reason we couldn't see them on that event because of the huge wow. politics just, between the I, two. Honestly, I love the commitment to it. Yeah, that's a that is a commitment it, it to. Reminds, it reminds me of like um, I can't remember who it was. It, it's a it's a thing from. It's a thing in certain parts of the world, but there are foot there are football fans that are such avid supporters of their fans, they won't say the name of the place where their rival team is from. Yeah, and it's like they are so committed to this beef. That they're like, nah, you if you're on our books, right? They have a deal with those people, right? That if they're like the they're the friend of our enemy, so they're <laughs> our enemy too. So, with all of this being said, Paco Alonso had eyes on an international expansion, not for his company per se, but to garner relationships with companies across the world. One of his big ones to start off with was, of course, with TNA back in 2000. Uh, I think it was 2004 they they kind of had yeah, a started off, but that. it wouldn't come into more of a kind of like a commonplace thing until 2007. Uh, the World X Cup is a very good example of that, where they yeah. had Team Mexico, for example. Uh, matter of fact, it was, uh, I believe, the the people they brought on for the 2008 uh, TNA World X Cup would have been Ray Bucanero, uh, Avan uh, Averno, Ultimo Guerrero, and Volador Jr. As a matter of fact, memory serves me correct, they actually won the TNA uh, World X Cup at that time. This Probably. also saw a talent, excur- a talent exchange, which Alex Shelley won the 2008 CMLL International Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good for Alex Shelley. In another little expansion of putting out the feelers, Paco Alonso would establish a working relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling as part of the G1 world. Several wrestlers since have toured the two companies uh, of course, a huge history now between CMLL and New Japan. Uh, for example, we have Mystico at one point ended up winning the junior heavy, uh, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. We had Jushin Liger winning the CMLL Universal Championship. And of course, this ended up having a huge, huge effect for young lions making world excursions. Yeah. The most famous, of course, being Hiroshi Tanahashi. And, of course, Tetsuya Naito. Because if it weren't for Tetsuya Naito making his excursion to Mexico, we would never have Los Ingobernables de Japón. And what a loss for that world that would be. <laughs> uh. Sorry about that, fellas. Just give me a moment. I need a bit of water. Apologies right. for that. You're good, you're good. Uh, since 2011, though, the two promotions have annually co-promoted events in Japan under the name Fantastica Mania. 2011 like also saw CMLL establish a working relationship with the Japanese women's promotion, Universal Women's Pro Wrestling Arena, and announced that the two promotions would create a new championship for women that, have, that has been in professional wrestling industry for less than 10 years called the CMLL Arena International Junior Championship. 
This was followed by the establishment of CMLL Arena International Championship uh, one year later. So the two cut up the heavyweight title and the junior weight title. Now, this, now all of this being said, a little bit of a stopgap and a little bit of a hit, hiccup and a road bump in the way of CMLL. 2010, turns out that uh, during an interview with... Um, <laughs> With the NWA executive director and legal counsel, um, oh a man by the name of Robert Trobick, he announced that CMLL actually didn't have permission to use the trademark for the NWA. And thus, the the NWA middleweight and welterweight championships had to be discontinued. Though, the rights of the usage of the NWA trademark in Mexico is now held by an offshoot of the NWA known as NWA Mexico, represented by Blue Demon Jr., because of this, though, CMML had to rename the three championships as the NWA World Historic Light Heavyweight Championship, the World Historic Middleweight Championship, and the World Historic Welterweight Championship. I, 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 I love this. <laughs> I, I love this so much because, or a, it, there's the addition of historic to it. But also, I like the idea that technically by doing that, they set out the fact that these were in fact created in the past and are not present. <laughs> Ex- so these are based on historic agreement. <laughs> exactly. That's one way to get around legal troubles, Mexico. That's how you do I, it. I swear. Honestly, people, forget going to law school. Work for a lucha company. You'll figure <laughs> out like every every legal loophole you need. <laughs> And thus, this is where we are with CMLL at the moment. In terms of its recent history, in 2014, they became the second promotion, only the second promotion in the Americas, to draw a $1 million gate with the 81st anniversary show. Now, of course, that uh, that becomes a little bit... I've been, I've been a little bit skewed now, because, of course, AEW's come in, and now they've drawn a $1 million gate. Um, so there's only three, there's three companies now that have been able, that can say in the Americas, that can say that they've done that. Um, of course, that that show in 2014 was kind of bolstered by a mask versus mask main event between Atlantis and Ultimo Guerrero. So that kind of helped. Yes. Um, CMLL is now broadcast on New Japan World. They ended up having uh, an agreement with Ring of Honor, Back in 20, I believe it's 2016. Now, of course, that has ended because Ring yeah. of Honor now is in ownership of AEW. And of course, they're still going strong to this day. As I said, the rivalry between Triple A continues. And in 2019, they ended up, uh, the unfortunate passing of former president of the company, Paco Alonso, um, would see them put on a brand new, well, put on a brand new tribute show at the time. Eventually, the the role of president ended up being appointed by uh his daughter uh, Sophia Alonso as the president of the company with a short tenured role uh I think it was only less than a month actually um after after kind of um I I don't want to say it, I want it depends on who you talk to from what I found in my research either it was that Sophia really didn't want to be in the position of the presidency or that. A lot of people just wanted to oust her out of the company because of the power. Yeah. Depends yeah, on I, who I... you talk to or who you find. Eventually, though, um, they appointed Salvador Chavo Lutarov the third as chairman, who now still yeah. runs the company. Of course, <laughs> of course. 
And that's where we kind of leave CMLL at this present moment. Um, what I will say is that if you do have a chance to watch CMLL as of right now, I highly recommend it, especially because they have a stacked roster at this moment. Of course, we have the former Sinkara, Mystico, still going strong. Yeah, but like actually being able to work this time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Dragon Rojo Jr., Titan, Shokasito. Uh, if you ask me, the person to really look out for at the moment is Atlantis Jr., yeah. I think he's really gonna go for like. I know he had a, he had a, he had a match recent. Oh yeah, no, he had a match recently. A lot of people were talking about that was the one where he absolutely just laid himself onto the barricade. Yeah, um, he. That was the one I showed you last week, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one to look at, of course, Volador Junior. Still wrestling yeah, to this Volador day. Jr. Um, I highly recommend if anyone just goes out of their way, to, if you can find a way to watch CMML, go watch it right now. Yeah, I think they're doing gangbusters right it, now. It, it's one of the, it's one of those things where um, it echoes what Lucha Blog was saying recently, mm. which is it's weird how an indie show that gets maybe three four hundred people attending gets more coverage than like CMLL and AAA that yeah. do like like couple thousand gates. Yeah, I mean especially um, when we got. Um, I mean, I mean if you want to go on the side of. Um uh triple a for a moment el vikingo is also el hijo well, del yeah. vikingo is just like he's a human highlight reel <laughs> yeah he's he's absolutely cracked but um yeah i don't know if it, i don't know if necessarily the difficulty is access i don't i can't imagine i mean like you said if it's on new japan world it can't be the, the most difficult to access i think now than ever especially for international viewers especially th- because they're not having the problem that like triple a had where they had no idea where their distribution rights were exactly <laughs> exactly so i feel like it should be pretty easy to see even if it might not necessarily be the most accessible if you don't speak or read spanish exactly but like even even still i feel like it should be pretty accessible especially i mean in today's day and age with on-demand television and and being able to access pay-per-views from anywhere in the world uh i feel like if you really want to kind of have a dip into lucha libre and especially with uh, and the cmll i think now's the best time more than ever as I said, you know, if you, if if Botchamania and all of those if all those highlights interest you, then I would highly recommend going out to, out of your way to watch CML. Ah, <laughs> uh, but no, that is where we're going to wrap up. A very I know it's a very short, concise episode on CMLL. Um, but yeah, thoughts and feelings, chaps. I mean, if you had yeah. if you got the chance, you know, are you are you more interested now to watch CMLL after all of that, fellas? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to watch more CMLL because I feel like I like I said I need to watch more Lucha. Mm. Mm. Um, I just I feel like I feel like there's a lot that I'm missing out on when I'm being also bombarded by like any amount of American independent shows, and yet there's a massive company that's doing you know good business in mexico yeah even if i don't necessarily can't really necessarily place a position on whether or not it's like good by their metrics or bad by their metrics or if we're in like a good period or a bad period Mm. just i feel i feel like there should be there should be more out there there should be more recognition yeah we're talking about coming at 89 years old (laughs) like in the in in and out of the context that's absolutely insane mm. i feel i feel strange that something like that and something that's so historic to wrestling 
can kind of get lost in this shuffle as people like compete to like find you know the the next star hidden away on like the uk or us independent scene when there's literally this thriving industry that's succeeding and people are performing incredibly and like it should be something that we should be more aware of yeah and um, especially if especially if you want to keep an eye out on who the next kind of like big up-and-coming star of new japan or even like yeah. the american indie scene might be because a lot of them go to mexico for the excursion and to get more yeah, and experience that, and that's the thing. i feel like i feel like that needs to be kind of pushed up emphasized i think people that are out there covering wrestling need to cover more lucha to make it more accessible i guess the you final know? i guess the final question for you two chaps is do you think salvador lutarov gonzalez is probably the mo- one of the most luckiest men who have ever lived in human history <laughs> ridiculous ridiculous story i i think that this, this man like now i'm i'm not one to believe in like any form of like divine intervention or anything <laughs> but like it just feels like this was all supposed to happen the man managed to dodge the Second World War. I'm calling that divine intervention. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This brother got a whole lottery ticket. <laughs> oh, man. So that is going to wrap up this episode. But before I head off, I love to announce something a little bit special that we're going to do to end off Hispanic Heritage Month for 2022. Going to be testing the waters on a nil brand new concept that we're going to that we're going to try out for this one. Tentative. <laughs> for the first time ever, we're going to be doing a sweet chinwag live with an audience. This, oh this god! Can only go great, right? It can yeah. only go good. As oh, we, so well. as me, Dan, and Reardon, and a select audience of people are going to sit down and do a live watch along of El Santo. And Blue Demon versus the Monsters. It can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. The classic, the classic film from 1970 with the synopsis that literally says, Santo and Blue Demon battle a mad scientist. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Battle copyright infringing mad scientist and his copyright infringing creations. Copyright doesn't exist. (laughs) Copyright doesn't exist. (laughs) It's It's just... Copyright is simply a suggestion. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, if you want to be a part of it, um, please do kind of like we're going to be announcing it, going to be showing off kind of like what we're going to be doing on our socials, on my socials, as well as the Sweet Chinwag socials. Um, like them, DM them, and we'll try and, and we'll get you kind of involved in the whole thing. It's probably going to be taking place on my Discord server. So, Get excited. If you want to be involved, let us know and we'll get you involved in the whole get you involved in the audience. But until then, I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon. For some of you, we'll see you at Royal Quest. But for the rest of you, we will see you on the next one. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.